Hello, and welcome to Sink or Swim, a bi-weekly podcast brought to you by RentSync, where we provide an insider's look into the prop tech, multifamily, and rental housing industry. In each episode, we take a deep dive into the technologies and strategies that have helped companies overcome operational challenges and increase the value of their multifamily investments. So without further delay, let's get into today's discussion. Okay, so welcome to episode two of Sink or Swim with me, your host, Mitch Fanning, VP of Marketing at Rensync, formerly LWS. Joining me today is Max Steinman, VP of Sales at Rensync. Max, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. How about yourself? Excellent. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Uh, you're the first person who's actually asked me that question after I've asked. Um, <laughs> so I, I appreciate that. Um, so today we're, we're talking all about lease up marketing and before we do, maybe you can start by just telling uh, the audience a little bit about yourself, giving a, a quick intro. Yeah, for sure. I'm the vice president of sales here at, at RentSync and I currently lead a team of five uh, incredible sales professionals uh, who cover North America. Uh, I really believe uh, that their knowledge uh, is is the best in the industry when it comes to marketing for our industry. Personally, uh, you know, in a non-professional setting, I'm a musician, I'm a big time snow skier, golfer, uh, huge basketball fan, huge Raptors fan. And uh, I'm a guy who likes to sit on the dock and have a couple cold beverages at uh, the end of the week. Well, I could vouch for your sales team. They're, they're all great. I can also vouch for your music skills. Uh, I've seen it personally, so so there you have it. Um, you may start getting requests for Instagram guitar stories, so I'm not sure what, you know where that's going to go. But all right, so let's just get into the conversation. Let's let's ease in, in in this conversation. Really starting with a with a simple question. You know, what's the purpose of lease up marketing? Let's start there. Yeah, great question, and it, it's sort of a new term as well. Uh, lease up marketing. What does that really mean? And maybe I'll just quickly start there. I mean, what it really means is it's it's uh, everything that goes into your marketing strategy when you've got a new rental development property or community. And the purpose of having a lease up marketing campaign really it boils down to optimizing your yield from that real estate development. That's really what it always comes down to. You know, uh, I usually break it down to clients that there's four factors that really dictate how successful a lease-up community or new development really will be. And what I usually tell them is the first and most important factor we all know, you know, with real estate is location, location, location. And there's nothing a marketer in our industry can really do to change or influence the location of the property. Um, no. You know, as, as uh, one of our awesome developers, Rick, uh, has said in the past um, in our office, he goes, a building can't just get up and walk around the corner. Well, you can't, can't move a building. So you're stuck with the location. If it's a great location or if it's a, a poor location, you're stuck with it as a marketer. You know, the second major factor is the structure itself or, or the building. Did, did the developer build a great building? Uh, you know, is it, is it uh, architecturally pleasing? Um, you know, does it have the right amenities? Uh, are the unit layouts smart? You know, how are the finishings? You know, there's, there's not much a marketer can do about that either. Um, that's, that's usually something decided many years in advance um, of, you know, the time of occupancy of a property. 
Um, sometimes, though, uh, marketers can be brought in at that point to help make you know, smart decisions. I just find rarely in our industry, you know, that that occurs. You know, the third the third factor is price. You know, everything has a price, and price really dictates the demand for a rental. And in my experience, uh, marketers in our industry often, and I'm not saying this is correct or the right way of doing things, but often they're insulated from the, the pricing decisions or those discussions that occur and uh, the pro formas that are created uh, in advance of, of actually building the community. Uh, and so it really boils down to that fourth factor, which is exposure or eyeballs. And this is where obviously marketers in our industry come into play. So whatever the strategy is in those first three factors, you know, a marketer's job is to take all of those assets, you know, the location, the structure, the price, and wrap it into a, into a story, right? And give that property its absolute best chance in an efficient capacity to, to succeed, right? And, and so if pricing is really aggressive, the only way to achieve, you know, the target for the property and, and achieve success is going to be by creating a, a larger funnel, driving more eyeballs or impressions or more traffic or more leads, you know, more applications and ultimately more leases. And, and so that's, that's really where marketing comes into play and where you have to have that you know, sound lease up marketing strategy. If that makes sense. No, for sure. And you know, in a lot, a lot of cases, it's what you just said can't even cross over to B2B or even like looking at products. So it's, you know, it's very similar to that. You know, when we start to break those down, because yeah, you know, you obviously you said a lot there, not all lease-up situations are the same, and, and maybe we're covering a lot of the same ground here, but are there any other things that need to be considered in the planning stage just beyond, like, say, location, structure, and, and the pricing of it? Is there anything else? I think, you know, the biggest uh, differentiator between one lease-up to, to the next, uh, you know, obviously market plays a huge factor, but more than market is really the investment horizon and the investment goals of that developer ultimately and uh, you know a perfect example is you know we've got clients who will do a, a lease up in a specific market you know 250 units and their strategy is to lease up as quickly as possible um, and basically regain cash flow as, as quickly as possible and not put themselves into a situation where they're over leveraged and get get the right tenants in uh, potentially a little bit below market rent or at market rent and and fill the building you know, exceptionally quickly and that's because their investment goals and, and their investors whether they're a public company or they've got private investors you know they're in it for the long haul and they're looking for uh, returns over 20 years and they're never going to sell that property and then on the other end of the spectrum you know you've got aggressive funds that come in or real estate developers who are set on flipping that asset once it's at 95% occupancy and based on the cap rate of the market and you know other factors they're looking at it and going let's fill this property up with the highest possible rent right exactly and uh, so what they're saying is you know it doesn't matter if it takes a lot longer to find those tenants willing to to pay more uh, and we're going to fill up you know, above market five, 10 percent, you know, above the actual market price uh, 
that's that's dictated by supply demand and you'll find those people in the right markets who, who are willing to pay more and then flip that asset within a year or two uh, at an incredibly high cap rate and onto your next project right so those two you know where you fall on that spectrum um, that investment horizon and goals makes a big difference uh, into kind of what's going to make up your strategy how much money you're going to throw in front of you and I, and I could argue that there's probably some of the most successful lease-ups I've seen fit somewhere in the middle there. They're not, sure. um, they're not all about flipping right away and, and you know, pure revenue optimization out of the gate. And they're, you know, certainly I think with clients who are just looking to lease up as quickly as possible, there's a lot of money being left on the table. that doesn't have to be right. No, exactly. So where we're at, you know, we've got, you know, we've picked the location, we've got a good structure, we've got a good footprint. We, we've thought about our leasing strategy and we've thought about our goals, whether it's short-term or long-term in terms of how that's going to affect the yield. Now we're at the exposure. Now we're at the actual lease up marketing stage. You know, what should actually go into a good lease up marketing program? Uh, what should it include? Walk me through some of the key key components there as far as like what is a sound uh, lease up strategy? Yeah, great question. Um, and, and it depends uh, on the asset and its market factors. Um, you know, even the target demographic, whether you're, you know, you're going after seniors or you're going after students, like all, all those things play in. But generally, I'll give you kind of a list of what should go into every lease up, no matter what. And uh, at least you know, properties with over 50 units, let's say, uh, argument could be made properties, you know, even over 25 units should have most of this stuff. Uh, but uh, certainly any property in North America that is launching with, that's going to have 50 plus units, like you got to have these, these are, these are the fundamentals. So, you know, first is creating the brand for the community. You know, don't underestimate that importance of the brand. And we see it far too often where, the brand is just the address and that's that's not right for a you know, multi multi-million dollar asset uh, it, it should have a brand uh, these days even if it's a you know a b or c uh, class asset um, you know transferring that brand into real life and transferring it onto the signage uh, and creating you know a, an on-site footprint uh, you know construction sites take up a lot of space and they're they're notable and people in the neighborhood notice construction sites so ensuring that you transfer that brand quickly uh, and the message from that brand onto your on-site signage is is sort of the next step you know ensuring that you have an, an early online presence uh, with a registration website and a construction updates website and, and this is something that's often overlooked you know it, it i've seen you know far too often that the, the only online presence a, a company will uh, create is once the lease up actually begins. And uh, there's some missed opportunity there, especially given, you know, the demographic, you know, if, if you've got a, an older target demographic, baby boomers, let's say, or downsizers, you know, those people are planning, you know, sometimes over a year in advance on where they want to move and, and what they want to move into. And so uh, starting early and, and creating a space for them to, to know a little bit about the project uh, online is, is really important. So building that uh, registration website, you know, with that, you don't want to just leave people hanging. So 
we often suggest as well a, a programmatic email marketing campaign uh, for registrants. And oftentimes, you know, by the time we get to Lisa, it's it's not uncommon in an urban area to see that you know, 2,000, 3,000 people have registered for more information on that property before, you know, we can even do a pre-leasing. And so using that list and uh, sending email updates and and uh, useful marketing uh, is is really really important. Uh, eventually, you know, when you're uh, depending on the asset and depending on on your investment goals, you're going to be ready to at least pre-lease or start leasing, and and that's when you need to launch, uh, you know, what we call your full lease-up website. And uh, you know, this really becomes your hub to run your leasing rev ops from, <clears throat> and. You know, this site's going to contain all the sales and all the marketing content for the community. You know, it's ideally going to include your full inventory of floor plans or units, and it's going to give the user the ability to reserve a tour, you know, entirely online, inquire on specific units, provide links to apply to that apartment, uh, apartment um, and, you know, really be almost an online store for, for the property itself. And, and finally, in conjunction with that lease-up website launching, you've got to drive traffic. So a, a digital marketing campaign uh, to go along with it is, is that last and crucial component of the lease-up marketing strategy. So including you know, Google Ads campaigns, social media marketing campaigns, and retargeting campaigns. And, and, uh, and as well as leveraging, that's so, so important to leverage the, the top tier ILSs in that specific market. If those of you who are not familiar with the, the term ILS, uh, that would be an internet listing site. So, you know, uh, apartments.com in the US or uh, here in Canada, you know, we've got Zumper and, and Padmapper and rentals.ca and, and Rentboard and, and those sites relatively speaking, are really affordable and can and can just drive so, so much exposure for you. Yeah, I mean, you know, a couple of things that you just touched upon, you know, again, this crosses over to a, to a lot of different industries, but I mean, brand and, and, and the whole, you know, driving demand for, for actually the lease up part. But, you know, I think of more uh, owner operators or developers really focused in on that brand they would realize that they could definitely charge higher uh, or, uh, you know, above market rates for, for their rents. Getting, getting that wait list set up allows you to dictate how you can kind of roll up or lease up that, that property. And, and also you can be a little bit more efficient. Um, so there is, that, there is that kind of narrative out there that, you know, you don't need necessarily a website. And I know it's kind of the, we'll say, it's, you know, it's, you know, not everyone's, you know, you know, opinion, but talk to me a little bit more about, you know, really the importance of, of having that site and, and, you know, why, you know, you just can't rely on say, you know, your, your leasing team or your sales team to kind of get out there and, and lease it up. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I can't imagine a single reason why, why you wouldn't want to have a site, but I've seen it. I've seen it many times not having a dedicated site or no site at all for prospects to reference information about the property. You know, that's, it, it's, it's wild to me to, to believe that uh, you would build. And one, one of these, you know, apartment buildings over 50 units, even over 25 units is a multi, multi-million dollar business, right? This isn't, this isn't a small brick and mortar shop. And, 
And it's wild to me that you wouldn't build an online presence for that uh, in, in 2020 or even back in you know 2010. <laughs> so I, I hope we're past that, but you know, evidently we're not. Um, there, are, there are a lot of companies still rolling without you know proper online presence. But it's just it all comes back to leaving money on the table. It all comes back to if you can lease up without and and this is where this is what we hear. The, the counter argument is well, there's just so much demand. It's so easy to lease up, Max. You know, we, we don't need we don't need a website. You know, we've done it four times without a website. And, and and my counter argument will always be, first of all, a website is relative. It's probably the most affordable part of the entire strategy. But if you can do this without a website, you have to be leaving money on the table. Uh, there's there's absolutely no way you're not under renting those units and and there's certainly no way you're even close to the definition of you know, revenue optimization. So it's, it's the same concept. You know, one analogy I use is if you were to walk into a, you know, a store, let's say Lululemon, Canadian company there for you, um, and absolutely all the inventory was just gone at all times and there was nothing to buy. What would you say? I mean, from a business standpoint, you'd probably say, guys, raise your prices. <laughs> like, like clearly you're leaving something on the table here. If Lululemon said we cannot possibly develop more inventory, you know, we've got a restriction on that, which is the case with an apartment building. You can't just add on units on the side of the building when there's, you know, additional demand. That it, it really boils down to that. It's, well, should you have raised your prices? I think so. I think you probably could have, you know, not had a sale on ongoing for thirty <laughs> percent. Um, and and that's. You know, that's what I that's what I would say to people who still don't think it's necessary. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. So great points and and so obviously now, you know, with the with the advertising, the the getting the exposure, there needs to be obviously some consideration or adjustments, you know, given COVID-19, you know, what are you telling clients right now? So are we in a pandemic right now? I think we might be. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, It it has actually increased, especially in urban markets, uh, it's increased uh, competition and it's made it more difficult to, to rent up, but that's mostly due to market factors, uh, in my opinion, it's, it has to do with more short-term rentals hitting, yes. hitting the market uh, as long-term rentals. You know, in a city like Vancouver or Toronto or Chicago or New York, you've, you've got thousands and thousands. Like I think there was a quote on that Toronto has almost 30,000 short-term rentals in the GTA. And all of those are hitting the market at the same time time to be long terms uh, long-term furnished rentals some some at a discount and that's a lot of inventory for the market to absorb so we've seen some increased competition and due to that uh, you know you've got to be more aggressive uh, whenever there's increased competition you've got to market harder you've potentially got to you know be reasonable and, and lower your price points a little bit and and incentives uh, are also uh, you know we're really seeing that play play a role. Uh, but in terms of the fundamentals, and this is sort of the funny thing, Mitch, the fundamentals of the mark uh, of the lease up marketing strategy, they don't really change. 
uh, at all. And so we've been getting tons of calls during the pandemic. Like, what do we do? What do we do now? What do we do? And it's potentially just market harder, you know, increase your spend a little bit on, on some of these uh, on your digital campaigns because you need more eyeballs. You need to fill the funnel. You know, you need to make the funnel bigger, essentially. But the fundamentals don't change so much. And, you know, if COVID has shown us anything, it's, it's the importance of not cutting corners and, you know, meeting those best practices that you should have in place anyways. So, you know, in, a, in an ideal scenario, COVID or not, you know, you shouldn't, you should be able to, you know, rent a site unseen uh, with the user just getting all the information they need uh, from the website to make that huge life decision of moving. And that, that shouldn't change whether we remove COVID from the picture or not. And, you know, just to give one quick example, can I give one quick example? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, you know, something that we see in obviously virtual tours have become, you know, in much higher demand during COVID because they help rent sight unseen or without online, uh, without in-person tours. Um, but virtual tours should have been part of everybody's strategy already. You know, they weren't, but when I talk about cutting corners, you might have in the past a, a client who they'll get a couple virtual tours done for the property, maybe two or three sort of model suites or units that they feel represent their unit mix well. And, and then just kind of represent those as you know, typical units on their website or in their website gallery. But you know, if, a, if a property really has like 18 different unit types or 40 different unit types in this day and age, if you can get all the tours for every single unit done, you know, that's the type of not cutting corners that I'm, I'm trying to describe. And, and what that means is that you're closing the information gap Everything available, if you show up at that property, is available to you online on that website. Uh, it's almost the same thing in, in the e-commerce world. Like, why, why go to the Gap uh, to go try on a pair of shorts that you like? Uh, I don't know why I chose the Gap. I mean, I, is the Gap still in business? <laughs> I, I have no idea. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but why go? Why go to the Gap to try on a pair of shorts you like uh, if you could just buy them online and you know your size, right? And and so. You should be able to do that anyways. And you even go into stores these days and their inventory system um, that they're going to use to look up whether they have inventory is just the front facing website. You see that all the time, right? And yes. it's, it should be the same here. So that's just one example of not cutting corners, uh, providing more information up front, uh, providing real availability and floor plans, not just typical. And, you know, those are the best standards of the industry anyways. So COVID's just brought that out and, and said, you know, hey, you got to start using these standards. You can't, can't be lackadaisical anymore. No, exactly. And it's, again, it's interesting because, you know, you've been saying this for months, just, you know, with your own research and, and what people have been telling you that, you know, those short-term rentals, they're coming into the market. Uh, obviously, it's softening up the market, but again, you know, put another way, all it's really forcing you to do is to do the things that you should have been doing anyway. You, you should have had a good brand, especially with lease ups and, and certain types of class, uh, class uh, apartments like, you know, B or A. B or A. You, sh you know, you should have been using certain technology uh, to be more efficient and to be more effective. And you should have always had a good advertising strategy. So again, it's just underscoring the, the things that you should have been doing, um, which, is, which is interesting. And we're seeing a lot of that, people who are doing it, 
are succeeding and the people aren't are, are not uh, doing as well so uh so let's kind of move in here like you know so somebody's decided whether it's you know developer or, or multifamily operator who's decided to get into some lease ups they, they've decided to kind of go ahead they're planning they're in those early staging or early planning or, or stage you know what should they look for or consider when choosing a partner to work with uh when choosing a, a lease up marketing partner to work with yeah for sure i think there's a number of factors. I mean, um, the first thing is industry experience, right? If you're going to, you know, go to a, an agency downtown, uh, you know, with a lot of marketing experience, it's unlikely uh, that they've worked on a lot of apartment communities, uh, which have a lot of nuances and there's a lot of software within uh, the apartment industry that is specific to the industry. Uh, a lot of jargon, a lot of verbiage, and you don't want to be in a situation where the first two months of the work that you're doing with this partner, you know, you're you're having to train them and teach them, right? And that's not something that anybody wants to have to do. In fact, there should be it should be the opposite. Uh, you should actually have the ability to learn, and uh, there should be value added from that that standpoint if you're choosing the right uh, partner. The other thing I'd say is, you know, and, and we, we try to pride ourselves on this is, you know, picking a partner that will challenge you and, and say no. And I mean, at the end of the day, the, the client always sort of gets what they want. But the, the most important thing often that we see in our, in our partnerships uh, with, with clients is that, you know, they might have an idea and we'll listen to that idea. But we've seen the outcome of, of something like that in the past and, and we have the experience to um, kind of rein in, uh, rein in certain ideas and say no and say actually I suggest you know, the following and not be afraid to, to guide the client to uh, a potentially better outcome. And uh, really the last thing I would say, Mitch, um, and this is really important, it kind of ties in with, with my first point is uh, a company that has experience working with integrated tech stacks in our industry. Um, and, you know, the, the push towards the integrated tech stack in, in the multifamily apartment industry started, you know, five, six, seven years ago. But uh, today it is so prevalent. Uh, every, every client, yes. uh, you know, anyone who's building a, a lease up hopefully has the le level of sophistication that they're going to have, you know, an industry specific accounting system or property management software. Um, they may choose an industry specific marketing vendor um, that has their own, you know, marketing automation software. Hey, rent sync's not a bad choice for that, right? And then, <laughs> and then you're going to have the, the leasing ops uh, software CRM tool. Sometimes that's sort of built into, into the property management software, depending on kind of what you're looking at. But, and, and generally there's lots of other small, you know, software components as well, whether it's revenue optimization software, like a yield star or, you know, maintenance software or resident software, payment software. Uh, there's there's a lot, uh, and the website you know is sort of the central hub that connects everything. 
and the marketing kind of connects everything. Uh, and so choosing a partner that that knows all those other vendors, you know, has integrations with them, has been down the the path many times before, is so critical because otherwise it becomes your full time job to try to go through all of those integrations uh, and bring that tech stack together for potentially your first time ever. And and that's so hard to do. It really takes a lot of effort. No, it's 100%. Um, we're seeing that more and more. And we're seeing it, again, it's almost like, you know, from my point of view, having experience in the B2B space, we saw it in the B2B space years ago. It's starting to come into play more and more. And I think people are noticing it, but the, the amount of technology that these companies are using and need to use to make business decisions are, are, uh, is increasing uh, year over year. So we're going to move now uh, as we kind of uh, come in for a landing, we're, we're going to move into uh, my favorite, one of my favorite parts usually is uh, the quick fire round where I say a statement and you have about 30 sec, 30 to 60 seconds to, to respond. And uh, you're no stranger to this. So um, Max, are you ready? Let's do it. Let's, Let's do go. It. Okay. First question, iPhone or Android? Only need one second to respond to that. Android all day. And as a marketing guy, you're probably like, ah, oh, what are you talking about? But <laughs> less for more. I like to get a new phone almost every single year. So, I mean, that for me is you know, less for more. They, in terms of specifications, like the most powerful phones on earth are Android phones. And, and, um, the proprietary nature of Apple can be limiting. Um, not always, but I just, I don't like to, to limit myself in any way. So uh, that's my answer, Mitch. Is you're not happy. <laughs> you're not happy with that. No, no, no. I, it's, a, it's perfectly fine. I'm, I'm not going to uh, judge you on that. Um, <laughs> what's on your playlist right now? Well, always on my playlist. Probably every other song is uh, The Tragically Hip. Um, if you're listening from the United States, that is, you know, a very iconic Canadian band, you know, maybe the, the equivalent of Bruce Springsteen, uh, to, to America, uh, but the tragically hip, uh, is my favorite band of all time and such a good, especially in summer, such a good, uh, cottage, uh, cottage band. And lately though, I, I want to throw this one out there. I've been listening to a lot of Otis Redding as i golf i always when i'm golfing i i uh always bring a speaker and there's something about otis i've been playing some really good rounds to otis redding and he kind of keeps me calm when i'm shanking balls into the woods and i'm missing putts and all those things that i do on the golf course so yeah otis he's he's great so you've just redeemed yourself because obviously i'm a fan of tragically hip um <laughs> and Somehow, I don't think Otis Redding would help my golf game, but I'm, I've just <laughs> put the note down. You know, Dave Kosky, if you're listening, this could be a hack that you use, but we'll we'll see. Um, well, Dave, I, Dave Kosky, he he doesn't need any help. He's uh, he's he's too good of a golfer. He needs something to actually. We need to give him something that's going to distract him, so that when I'm playing with him, I can kind of score around what he's scoring which i don't think is possible anyways it's death metal or something like that <laughs> yeah, dave kosky co-founder and vp of services for rent sync uh, and usually when we have a golf tournament we ask him to go or max um because 
<laughs> those are the best two golfers uh, in in the company, as far as I know. Next question: What's the best piece of advice you've received? Well, my my father, uh, who he was in the real estate space as well, um, he used to have a saying, and uh, it's not the classiest saying, but I, I like it. And, and you know, he when I first got started in this industry, you know, like I. I'd be nervous to maybe meet with a CEO of a large REIT or, um, you know, just in general, you know, back in the day, if I was going to do a job interview or something and, you know, I was nervous or, you know, uh, you're talking to a prof, whatever it is, you know, you'd always just say like, you know, that person takes craps just like you. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you have to bleep that up, but so <laughs> what he's saying essentially is, you know, it's just another human and, uh, and don't put them up on a pedestal, right? Don't put them up on a pedestal. Uh, it doesn't matter what they've done in their life. You know, you're just going to, to meet or talk with uh, another person and, and gave me a lot of perspective to, to not be nervous, not be afraid and, and uh, just kind of go out there and, and get it. Sage advice. Next question, if you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, who would they be? Well, one, uh, going back to my, uh, your music question, would be Gord Downey, the lead singer of the Tragically Hip. Uh, by far, like, he is, he's, like, iconic to me. Um, you know, we, obviously, with COVID, we're doing this uh, podcast uh, from our homes, and I probably have a piece of tragically hip art or Gord Downey, you know, art on in every single room. So Gord for sure. Um, <clears throat> probably I'd want a, a basketball player there. I'm, I'm thinking probably Kyle Lowry, uh, of the Raptors, nice, cool guy, you know, hard worker. Uh, seems like he'd, he'd probably be a good dinner party guest. Uh, and, He's the all-time Raptor. You know, he really is the all-time Raptor, all-time best. And uh, I'm gonna go with for my third, my third uh, guest, Oprah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> she's just, you know, probably the most impressive human being uh, on the planet. So, you know, what a what a combination to have: Gord, Kyle, and Oprah. Uh, over for dinner. Yeah, that, that's who I kept with. <laughs> that, that'd be one interesting dinner. Um, and Laura, if you're listening, you'd obviously be a part of that dinner as well. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, we'll, we'll include her, I guess. Yeah, you, you said I could only have three, so. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 she's definitely included. Um, so last question, artificial intelligence fills you with hope or dread? Pick one. Well, act, actual artificial intelligence. Uh, yes, yes. Not not like machine learning. Not like they say like now, but but actual. Yeah. I I guess uh, hope. I'll go with hope. I, you know, I think I just think that people have a bad habit of uh, society. Maybe has a bad habit of. Um, being just way too overly optimistic about the state of AI uh, all the time. Um, and they're just underestimating the power of the, and the sophistication of the human brain, uh, which is just really the most powerful tool on earth other than Oprah's brain. But, 
so in in that sense that people have completely unrealistic expectations of ai in general dread but uh hope in the fact that i think there are a lot of applications for ai in today's society that that maybe you know 40 50 years from now will completely change life as we know it so might not be optimistic on it so you're you're an optimist that worries a lot about ai <laughs> well, the other thing that fills me with dread about AI is seeing all sorts of software out there that's not real AI label themselves as AI, and, and yes, that's, that's why that's why I have a an immediate knee-jerk negative reaction to it. But uh, that, that's their that's that's, a, their that's for another podcast episode. <laughs> we will digress. Sure, um, we we can we can have a podcast episode, maybe Mitch, on chatbots. That's Chatbots oh, are probably where my don't, don't get Max started on, on chatbots. We gotta <laughs> we gotta save that one for for the next for part two. Stay tuned for part two as we uh, will talk about chatbots on websites. All right, Max, this has been fun. Where can people find out more about you on the interwebs? Well, you can always flip me an email. My email is uh, max at rentsync.com. Uh, that's r e n t s y n c dot com you know linkedin i'm fairly active on linkedin i'm not a aficionado or anything like that but uh, max steinman um, and uh, that's about it that's probably the best ways to find me i'd say <laughs> okay well this has been fun thanks again for doing this max and uh yeah we'll talk later thanks a lot mitch appreciate it and look forward to episodes in the future You've reached the end of another episode of Sink or Swim. Make sure to visit us at rentsync.com slash podcast to access show notes, key takeaways, and where you can sign up to our newsletter to receive free bonus content. If you found value in this show, please also remember to rate, review, and subscribe. That's this week's episode of Sink or Swim. Don't forget to join us next time for another jam-packed episode. Thanks for listening.